you have a Bible, you can open to the book of Colossians. This morning we'll look at um, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, and verses 12 through 17. The text is also printed on the next page of the bulletin for you. And there are some uh, Bibles available in the back on the little table, and there's also some things there for the kids to uh, pick up and color on, kind of go with the the theme this morning. Um, We've been looking at Colossians and the, the subtitle of the chapter, uh, the chapter, the series that we're um, going through here this fall is, uh, is growing in the gospel. Colossians was a letter that Paul wrote to a young church full of kind of young believers, new believers, um, kind of explaining the basic uh, elements of the gospel in a way that is um, meant to communicate to them the fact that they really just need to hold on to what they've already heard. They, they need to hold on to the basic gospel. Um, and it's basic, but it's profound, right? And it's significant. It has application for every part of life. But really, you've got to keep going back to the gospel, and that's how you grow as a Christian. And so um, one of the things we've been doing is um, we've gone through this series, realizing it's, it's written to a new church, new believers, young believers, is um, kind of highlighting uh, for a few minutes um, at the beginning of the sermons for the kids, you know, pay special attention here, um, trying to speak at a level that's understandable, and that's going to happen uh, basically throughout this sermon this morning. So kids, just so you know, be aware of the fact, listen for those little points uh, here and there that um, will hopefully connect with you. So basically, it's just a shameless plea for your attention for the next 25 minutes or so. Um, <clears throat> well, let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll read from the scripture. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the effect that it's had, not only in our lives, but throughout uh, history. Your word has shaped the entire world. Your word has shaped um, many of the good parts of our own society and our own civilization um, around the whole world. And uh, we look now for your word to work um, on what may be a smaller level inside each of our hearts, but... um, It's not a small deal to us that you would do that work in our hearts, that you would apply your word, uh, the word of grace, the word of Christ to us. Uh, We cannot change ourselves. We cannot change our own hearts, even though they're ours. Um, We can't make ourselves love or hate one thing or the other. And so we need you to come and do the work that only you can do by your spirit and make use of your word in our lives right now. We lay ourselves open to your work and we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Then down to verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, kids, try to boil this down for you. Uh, here's something we're all familiar with. When, um, when circumstances are appropriate, your, your parents tell you to wear certain types of clothing, right? Um, for example, it's cold and raining outside. What are your parents going to tell you to put on? Your jacket, right? You put on your warm clothes or maybe a hat. It's cold or raining outside, so put on your your coat. It's, it's Halloween, so put on your costume, right? Uh, it's time for church, so put on your nice clothes. Or it's time for bed, so you put on your pajamas. Or aliens are invading New York City, so it's time to put on your Iron Man armor, <laughs> right? <clears throat> I mean, Paul's saying in this passage, There are circumstances that are true about your life that require you to put on certain types of clothing, right? And he's saying something is new about you, so put on new clothes, except he's not talking about clothes. He's not talking about something that you actually put on the outside of your body that makes you look different or feel different, right? Uh, He's not talking about clothes. He's talking about character traits or attitudes that shape your life. He's saying you're a Christian, You have a relationship with Jesus, right? You know Jesus. God loves you. God chose you to be his son or his daughter. He has made you part of his family in the church. And he's even made you, in a sense, to represent Jesus in the world. So like clothing, he's saying, put on things like compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and love. And those things make sense because of what's true about your relationship with with Christ. If it's true that it's raining and cold outside, it makes sense to put on a coat. If it's true that you have a new relationship with God through Jesus, it makes sense to put on things like love and compassion. Um, You have a new life in Jesus. So it's time to put on new clothing. You're alive to God, so you put on things that have to do with that new life. You're holy in God's sight, it says, uh, so put on holiness and love. Right? Um, these are especially things that we do when we're with each other. These are things that we do to each other. We're compassionate and we're humble around each other. Right? Um, so it, do you remember last week we said that because Jesus is in heaven right now, so are we. There's a sense in which we also are in heaven. And because that's true of us, That changes how we live. And last week we talked about how it makes you stop doing bad things, like being angry um, in selfish ways. And this way we're talking about how how the gospel, the good news about Jesus, uh, makes us live in good ways. And it actually makes people think of Jesus when we live that way. It actually makes people think of heaven when we live, when we put on things like compassion and love. When you love people... 
it helps them to know that God loves them. Right? Um, that's what Paul means when he says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So acting in Jesus' name means that we represent Jesus to other people. And it means that we're empowered by Jesus. We're made able to do that by Jesus. Uh, he gives us what we need in order to represent him well. So, so when we love other people in the name of the Lord Jesus, we're letting them know that Jesus loves them. We're letting them know that God loves them, right? And we can only do that if Jesus helps us do that, right? Uh, kids, we need God's help to love people, don't we? Somebody say yes, I mean, just blank stares. We need God's help if we're going to love people, don't we? Because um, <clears throat> you know it doesn't work when your parents just say, stop being mean, start being nice, start loving other people. That doesn't work, right? It doesn't work for me. It doesn't change me. We can't just make ourselves compassionate and humble and loving people. God has to make those changes in us, and, he's, and he does that in our hearts, and he does that when we think about Jesus. God changes us when we think about Jesus, when we think about how good and gracious and loving he's been to us. Again, maybe you remember last week, we talked um, about the importance of thinking about Jesus. It says in verse 1, seek the things that are above where Christ is, right? S seek the things that are in heaven, seek Christ. And it says uh, then in verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, right? So <clears throat> um, just a reminder, uh, John Calvin has a great quote on this. He says, as far as your mind can extend, employ yourself in knowing more and more the love that God has shown by giving us Jesus Christ, his well-beloved son. This is where we ought to employ all our life. It says in verses 3 and 4, your life is hidden with Christ in God, and it says Christ is your life. And when you think about Jesus Christ, which we're going to do here more explicitly, more focused in a minute, uh, that's when God changes your heart and he makes you more like Jesus, right? But um, Paul says this, and this, uh, it says this in a lot of places in the scripture, we need each other's help to think about Jesus, right? We need each other's help to think the right things about Jesus and to keep thinking about Jesus, to think about him frequently, right? We need each other's help, and we help each other when we point each other to what the Bible says about Jesus, when we point each other to the, the word of God, it says in verse 16, let the word of Christ, so this word about Christ, the good news about God's grace given to us in him, dwell in you, plural, richly. Right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And that's what we're here to do right now. That's what we're here for every Sunday. Uh, it's a significant part of the reason why we gather for worship. So let's do that. Let's let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Let's think about Jesus together in a way that helps us to be more compassionate and more humble and more loving. We're not going to go through the whole list of these kind of virtues. Um, I'm going to kind of highlight just a few of them. We don't have time for everything here. But um, Paul says in verse 12 that we are God's chosen ones holy and beloved. That sounds good, doesn't it? Right? But we are his chosen ones, holy and beloved. And that kind of language used to talk about Israel. 
as God's special nation that he was dealing with among all the nations in the world. He wasn't dealing with the Egyptians the same way that he was dealing with Israel. That was his special people. And now, uh, since Christ has come, this kind of language about being chosen and holy and beloved, it's it's applied to the church. It's applied to Christians as God's special people, right, from every tribe and tongue and nation. But we're not God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, because we're so special or lovable or great, right? That's what it it means when we read earlier, when uh, Nathan read Deuteronomy 7, um, God's speaking to his people Israel, and it applies to us, but he's, he said, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. So I've taken you, I've set you apart for my special purposes. Right? Um, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And it was not because you were more in number than any other people. So it's not because you were better than anybody else that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. So when Paul says that we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, that's saying more about God than it's saying about us. God is a God who chooses you in love. God is a God who treasures you. And this is true, it's all true because of Jesus, because of the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the true and ultimate chosen one, holy and beloved by God. Everything he ever did was amazing and beautiful and right. He loved and obeyed God, his Father, perfectly like no one ever else did. And God loves Jesus for who he is. Because Jesus is worthy of all love. And when you have a relationship with Jesus where you trust him and you believe in him and you know him, then the Spirit of God connects you to Jesus so that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus and says of you, you are my holy, chosen, and beloved one. And because the Spirit has connected you to Jesus, then Jesus lives in your heart. And you are in him in heaven, in God, in some spiritual way, right? Uh, And now, what's true about Jesus is true of you. What is true about Jesus is true of you, so all of his compassion is yours. And, um, And you can put it on like a big poofy jacket that makes other people feel cozy and comfy when you give them a hug, (laughs) right? All of Jesus' compassion is yours. His humility is yours to put on. His love is yours to put on. So what does that look like? Think about Jesus. Jesus is compassionate. When others around him had needs, when they were really hurting, he knew it, and he felt those needs like they were his own. And when people were in trouble, um, he didn't laugh at them. He felt bad for them. He felt sorry for them. It was something that he felt deep inside, in his heart. It moved him and it wrecked him. And it moved him to do something, to help others, right? To treat them with mercy. So he healed broken people, 
and blind people, he gave them their sight back. That's what it says he did when he was moved with compassion for people. He took care of people like a shepherd takes care of the sheep that he, he cares for. Right? That's what compassion is. That's how Jesus is compassionate. And you can put that on like fine clothing. Right? Jesus lives in you. So you can help others who need help. You can help them with food or clothing or other things they, they might need. You can help them to know that they're not alone in the world. You can help them to know that uh, even if they're really bad people who have messed up their whole life by the bad things that they've done, you can help them to know that God still cares for them. You do that by caring for them. Compassion helps you to represent Jesus. To other people to make them feel like Jesus has compassion for them. Right. So what does humility look like? Again, think of Jesus. Right. Jesus is the most humble person in the whole world since the beginning of everything. Right. Jesus is God. That's a big deal. Right? He's a bigger deal than anyone else. He deserves everyone's attention and respect. But instead of making a big deal about himself, he humbled himself. He came down from heaven. He gave up all of his glories and rights and preferences and comforts and honor. And he became a human. And then he died. He died on the cross, which is a bad way to die. And when someone dies on the cross, it's like saying that person is nobody. That person's worse than nobody. But Jesus wasn't a nobody. Jesus is God himself. But he let himself be treated like nobody, and he made himself a nobody because other people were so important to him. And that's what the Bible says. It's, uh, Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves like Jesus did. That's what it means to be humble, to think of others, uh, to think more of others than you do of yourself, right? Uh, and Jesus did that to such a degree that we can't even understand it. But that's, that humility, you can put it on like fine clothing. Right? Jesus, the one who thinks of others more than himself, he lives in you so that you can think of others more than yourself. You can give up trying to get others to think that you're important. And you can start really treating others as if they're more important than you. Right? You can stop getting so upset when others don't treat you the way that you think you deserve to be treated. It says in 1 Peter, again, the same kind of imagery, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Right? And we do that when we put on uh, Christ. Um, what does it mean to forgive? The text says we're supposed to forgive one another if we have complaints against each other. Think of Jesus. Jesus is God. So he knows everything bad anyone has ever done or ever will do. He knows it all. Right? In fact, everything bad that we do, we've done against him. We've done against God. When we sin, we're ultimately saying to God, we're ultimately saying to Jesus, I don't like you, I want to get away from you. That's what we do when we sin. And when God is love, that hurts. 
hurts and it makes God angry. But instead of um, holding our sins against us, instead of being angry at us and punishing us for our sins, God the Father treated Jesus like he was the sinner, even though he wasn't. God treated him like he was the sinner and punished him in our place in order to forgive us. And that hurt God. That hurt God. That hurt Jesus. It killed Jesus. It was not an easy thing to forgive us. But God loves us, and he wanted to forgive us, and so he took the hurt and the damage that we caused, and he ate it, and he absorbed it, and he forgave us. So the Lord has forgiven you at great pain to himself. Jesus died. That's great pain. And that Lord, Jesus, lives in you so that you can forgive others at great pain to yourself. And it hurts to forgive others, but that's something that you can put on like a fine garment. People do bad things to us, and that hurts, and sometimes that hurts a lot. And uh, when we forgive them, we're not ignoring that pain. We're not just sweeping it under the rug and forgetting about it. It's not what we do when we forgive we're feeling the pain. We're eating it. We're absorbing it. So that we can move beyond it to have a good relationship again with the people that we're forgiving. And we forgive others as many times as it takes to fix the relationship. Right? Jesus' disciples asked him, how many times should we forgive somebody when they do the same thing to us? Seven times, maybe? And he said, 70 times seven. Which is, don't do the math on that and keep track, right? Um, even if they, they do the same bad thing to us every day, we forgive them because we sin in the same ways against God every day, and he's forgiven us every single time through the death of his son Jesus on the cross. And we do all of these things that we've been talking about, we do them all in the name of Jesus Christ, and they're all bound together in perfect harmony by love, it says. Paul says, above all, in verse 14, above all, we're to put on love. What does love look like? Look at Jesus, right? Jesus showed us love. He showed us perfect love that, that we cannot comprehend fully. He showed us God's love. It's divine love when he died for us on the cross. So the cross of Christ is our definition of love Love that costs us to show it to others. Love costs us when we love others. Right? Ultimately, love costs us ourselves. Everything. Right? True love is the full sacrificial giving of yourself to others. And ultimately, only one person in the world could even do that. Could ever do that. And all these things are only perfectly true of Jesus, but they're really true of you also because you're in him and he's in you. That's what the text says. All these things are, are true of him, but they're also true of you. All of this, summed up in love, is true not just of you as an individual in Jesus Christ, but also of, of you as a church together in Jesus Christ, which brings us 
when this stuff is at work in us, it brings us peace and it brings us joy together, right? That's what it says in verse 15 and 16, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful and sing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So when we come together as the church, it's to celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done for us and the fact that his life is in us and it makes us new in our love for each other. Right? His grace doesn't just give us a sense of peace. That's not what it's talking about when he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He's not just saying, have this sense of calm in contrast with anxiety. Um, his grace brings us peace between each other, reconciliation and harmony and unity in our relationships, right? Um, and that is supposed to rule in our hearts together. That's supposed to drive everything that we do, right? It's the, the ordering principle in our hearts as we consider each other, and it will come out in the end as thanksgiving and joy, right? Um, that's the love of God at work in our community and our relationships. We share it with each other at the passing of the peace, which we'll do in a few minutes. Uh, we, we share it with each other, especially at the Lord's table. The Lord's table is the experience of the angel's song, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. In Christ, together, we are the ones with whom he is pleased, right? We're we're God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And his peace can overcome any disagreement. It can overcome any suspicion to the glory of God. Because the biggest relational gap in the history of the universe, the gulf between sinners and a holy God, has been bridged by Jesus. So any gap between mere humans in this place can be bridged in the same way too. Any gap. And they're small compared to the gap that existed between us and God. And Jesus fixed that. And nothing else in the world can offer peace like this, which is why uh, the Lord's table is the greatest moment of peace. It's the truest and best and most real community that the world ever sees, which serves to make others know how great God's grace really is. Right? The peace that we share, in spite of who we are and our tendency to disagreements, the peace that we share in Christ testifies to God's grace. It's God's answer to Jesus' prayer. In John 17, the night before he died, Jesus prayed for our unity. Right? He's praying for our love and our peace together. He prayed for our unity so that the world may know that you, God, sent me, Jesus said, and, and loved them even as you've loved me. Right? That's, that's the purpose of our uh, unity and our peace together is so that the world would know that God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, into the world and has loved the world through him. Jesus lets his reputation, Jesus lets God's reputation ride on us, on our peace, on our unity. He not only lets us identify with him, he identifies himself with us, and that's unbelievable. People like us, he's, he's allowing his name to be attached to us his reputation, but, um, but we communicate Jesus to others when we act with compassion, kindness, and humility, and meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love, above all, right? 
We communicate Jesus to others. We, we represent Jesus to the world when we dwell in peace together with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So um, just leave you with this question. Think about this question. Let this question drive everything that you do in your interactions with other people. Kids, listen. It's a simple question, right? Let this question drive everything you do in your interactions with other people. How can I convince this person that God loves them? How can I do that? How can I convince this person that God loves them? And remember, the answer is in Jesus Christ who perfectly shows us the love of God and who lives inside of you. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we would echo Jesus' prayer that we would be able to reflect you well in this world through our love, through our peace, through our unity. And that's only true because your spirit unites us to Christ and so to one another and overcomes uh, all other barriers and obstacles that we would raise up between uh, our relationships between you and us and each other. And so if there are obstacles and barriers, Lord, we pray that you would break those down by fixing our eyes on Christ, that you would help us to seek Christ, that you would help us to set our minds on things that are above and not on the things that are on earth, that you would help us to put on compassion and humility and forgiveness and above all love, because when we love, it's evidence of your work in us. And it testifies directly to you because you've revealed yourself as a God who is love. And uh, for this, we will ever rejoice into eternity. Uh, we will be thankful and joyful that you have set your love on us, that you've chosen us, and that we are your holy and beloved ones in Christ. Um, it's a joy inexpressible that fills our hearts to think of our great salvation through Christ. And so we pray that this joy and this peace and this unity would last um, not just through the rest of this service, not just through this week, but through our, the rest of our lives together in your world as your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.